Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. So have you, have you enjoyed the guest speaker for the past two weeks? It's been good having a guest speaker in here, hasn't it? Um, if I'm confusing you, I'm just being cryptic uh, because realistically the guest speaker that we've had here is Jesus because, oh, there you go, I did it, see, yeah, you get it. <laughs> we've been listening to what Jesus has to say about money and Jesus has been preaching to us uh, his words about what he says of money. As I've said to you, I'm just, I'm just the, I'm the mailman, I'm just delivering the message and so we've been listening to what uh, Jesus has to say about money for this primary reason and, and that is that uh, for us as a church family on the September 8th at our Celebration Sunday where we're going to be gathering everyone from both of our locations it's, we are so excited. We're going to actually be busing the Taramara congregation down here in Crow's Nest uh, at nine o'clock and putting them onto a bus and driving them down. How cool is that? Uh, they're going to be here so they can celebrate with us. And at that moment, we're going to call you, if you're part of our family, uh, to think about committing to give. If you haven't uh, given regularly before, we're going to ask you to consider doing that. If you, if you give from time to time, we want to ask you to commit to perhaps giving regularly, and if you do give regularly, and I thank you, thank you, thank you, so many of you, uh, but this has been about doing some time with God ahead of that faith step in terms of what more we could do with Him and our finances. And so we've been learning from Jesus. We've been learning that uh, if you can't take it with you, then it's probably not yours anyway, uh, that we are just stewards of whatever God gives us. And then we learned last week that one of the difficult things that we have with our money is that uh, greed, the assumption of consumption, blinds us to its presence in our life. And so uh, we work through that with Jesus and this morning he's going to teach us on really how to, what to do with your money, how to invest your money, how to send your money. And uh, where we ended last week, we're going to pick up actually on the same verse that links the two. Last week we heard from Luke, this week we're going to hear from Matthew. They were hearing the same message at the same time on the Sermon on the Mount, but this is Matthew's version of what he heard there. And I want to pick up on this line where Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. I think that's vital. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And what Jesus is showing us there and saying to us is that there is a big difference between generosity and random acts of giving. I want to talk about generosity today because there's a big difference between the two, a big difference between random acts of giving and generosity. Uh, because look, for many of you, you give. I know that you give. Uh, you give and your giving is actually part of the problem. Have I, have I told you that? <laughs> It's, it's actually, yeah, it is, it's actually the problem. The fact that you give is the problem. And here's why. Have you, have you ever noticed when someone says that you don't do something or you haven't done something or you should do more of something, that you always go back to that one moment in time where you did that very thing? Have you ever, I'm sure you've probably never done that. For me, it's, it's probably a more in the, you know, if Kristen ever says for me from time to time, and it's bound to happen. She said, look, I just, I just wish that you'd be a little bit more romantic. I know, hard to believe, but she says that. And, and it's normally at those times, isn't it, hun, where, where normally your mind starts racing on all of the past times that you were romantic. What are you talking about? Like, I was, I was incredible that time I bought you flowers four years ago. <laughs> you see, we're, we're, at, we're at risk of, of living in those, those previous actions as the basis for who we are now. And so when it comes to generosity, and, and we hear Jesus' call, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. When it's a call to be more generous, and that's what he's calling us to, the minute we hear that, we say, well, I give. 
I give. And that's like saying to Jesus, well, I was romantic once. <laughs> In other words, the, the, your giving is part of the problem because your giving and those wonderful acts of random goodness, which are good things, by the way, can be the very basis by which you stand upon your reputation for being generous. And what Jesus is wanting to call you and I into is to say, where your treasure is, present tense, at the moment, constantly, ongoing, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. He's calling us into be people who live lives of generosity. And there's a word in this verse that proves that, and we're going to look at that in a second. Here's the problem, though. Generosity doesn't come naturally. Have you noticed that, or is it just me? <laughs> doesn't come naturally. That's why Jesus says, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, so circle the word healthy for me or highlight it in your digital Bible. But if your eyes are unhealthy, the whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within that darkness, within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? To which we read that and go, that is the most cryptic, vague statement about money I have ever heard. <laughs> And of course it is, but what Jesus was getting at is the Beta-Meinhof effect. Mm. That's, that's exactly, that's, yeah, it's, that's, that's, yeah, that's even clearer, isn't it? Thank you, Sam. Uh, he said, Jesus there, he's clearly talking about the Beta-Meinhof effect. You know what that is, right? Yeah, you know, the, some of you know what it is. You, you would have you experienced it. It goes like this. Have, have you ever been in a situation where you've been uh, lucky enough, because we said we're in the top 1% of the richest people in the world, where you've been lucky enough to go looking for a new car. And have you ever noticed when you go looking for a new car, that when you've looked and done all your research around that particular model, first thing happens, there's a certain model that you settle on. Like it can't be the Ford Fiesta 2008 XR model, it's got to be the XR4, right? Because the XR4 is so much better than the XR, right? So you, you set your mind on that, but you have, has this ever happened to you? The minute that you walk out of that moment where you've been thinking about that car, have you ever found that when you look around, it feels like every car on the road is a 2008 Ford Fiesta? Have you noticed that? Right? That's the Beta-Meinhof effect. And the, the, the principle is this, what gets your attention gets you. What gets your attention gets you. Have we got any marketers in the room? There we go. There's a few of them. They're the ones that have studied for three to four years, hours and hours and hours, finding subtle, secret, subconscious techniques in order to instill the Beta-Meinhof effect on you and to get you subconsciously thinking about their product, right? And, but, but thankfully, that, that doesn't happen to us, right? Like, we, we don't get our hearts set on particular products. We don't, we don't suddenly lock into things because this is what happens in the Beta-Meinhof effect. First of all, there's selection bias. So the very fact you're thinking about it makes you subconsciously keep thinking about it. And then it's more than just selection bias, it's confirmation bias. So then you have the dynamic within it because you're already thinking about it. The confirmation bias says, mm, yeah, I really do need that. I do, uh, yeah, I really do need that. That's, ex that's exactly for me. And you know what happens? We keep finding ourselves all the time because of this dynamic. Have you ever noticed when it comes to your phones, your electronics, your car, have you ever noticed because of this, you know exactly what product you have and you know exactly what product is just a little bit better if you owned it. <laughs> and so we're, we're constantly in this, this cycle of being grabbed by this selection bias, confirmation bias. Some of you, you're already lost. You're thinking Jesus was vague. Sam's even vaguer. Can you just get to the point? Let's come back to the Bible here. 
I said, circle healthy. If Jesus says, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now, the Greek word for, for the healthy here, circle this. I never got this until this week. This is, this is revelation for me. But when we're looking in, into this, you know what the Greek word for healthy there is? Because this is obscure. The Greek word for healthy is haplos, which means generous. Rephrase it. If your eyes are generous, then your whole body will be generous. And this is why I go, Jesus is a marketing genius. Have you noticed that Jesus' response in order, because we talked about greed last week, in order to free us from greed, Jesus' response to us is not to preach, give, 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 give. Jesus preached, look, 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 look. Because Jesus understood way before the Beta-Meinhof effect came into place that what gets your attention gets you. And so he says, look, 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 look. And here's the amazing thing that he's saying to us in that passage then. If you look, what Jesus is really saying is, could it be possible, children? What if it's possible? That if I can just grab your attention, what if I could create my followers the sorts of people that had a selection bias towards acts of generosity? Can you imagine a church, a country full of people, that, that have, have had their attention focused on, on the world around them in such a way that their eyes looked and looked and looked. There's an opportunity to be generous. There's an opportunity to be generous. There's an opportunity to be generous. There's one, there's one, there's one. And then as a result of the selection bias, subconsciously they're going, that was fun. <laughs> that was refreshing. That's the promise for you and I this morning, if you're wondering what we're doing here. The, the, the promise is, what if, we could, what if we could move out of here in such a way that Jesus had grabbed our attention, that we become the sort of people we're giving our money away is fun. So here's the, the question, the wrestle. If, if Jesus is saying, look, 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 question class, what gets your attention when it comes to the things that you spend your money on? That's, that's how you work out if you've got this subconscious selection bias. Uh, more specifically, if you're going, oh, I don't know, I don't know how to work that out. Here's, here's, uh, here's a key to work it out. Uh, where does your money effortlessly flow? To what things does your money effort, effortlessly flow? What things do you just find, oh, you know, just got to have it, just happens. In fact, it happens in a way that you don't even think about it, right? Because Jesus says... The direction or the place where those things, that's where your heart is. That's what you love. I mean, it's like if, I don't know, if, if, if you had a, a friend that takes you, says, let's, let's go out, let's go, let's go to the opera. And you can't stand opera. And so you go out to the opera house and, and you, rock up, you rock up to the booth and, and you go there and the, the person says to you, it's uh, okay, yeah, that, that'll be $150. You would go, $150 to watch people in funny costumes sing? Like, that's ridiculous. Right? You, it, you'd, be, you'd be tense, you'd be angry, you'd be frustrated. You, know, you could take exactly the same $150, and if you're a massive rugby fan, you know, $150 for a seat at the Bledisloe Cup, even when you lose 36 nil. <laughs> I'd happily part with that. <laughs> I could see some New Zealanders in the room. Bless you. <laughs> see what Jesus is saying to us? First question for you to write down. Or most importantly, are there people in your life that you can ask that question of, hey, hun, hey, friend, where does my money effortlessly flow to? That, that will give you a Google map for your heart. If you want to know what your heart looks like on Google Maps, do that. That's showing you the, the, the map of your heart, where your treasure is, your heart will be 
also. So generosity, it doesn't come naturally. Part of the reason we said last week, greed blinds us. And so <laughs> there's, sub, there's subconscious bias, the Beta-Meinhof principles constantly working. This is not a Christian thing, by the way. This is just a thing thing. Jesus was the genius to speak into it and deal with it and call it for what it is. And so if generosity doesn't come naturally, then we've got to work at it. So this is, this is the part of the message where we roll up the sleeves and we just get a little bit more intensely practical after three weeks of talking about the why and the problem. Gener- generosity is this. I'm going to give it to you. This is the exercise. This is the pattern. This is the rhythm of generosity in the followers of Jesus. Generosity is the premeditated, calculated, designated, unshackling of personal value or money. The premeditated, calculated, designated, unshackling of personal value. It's premeditated. In other words, generosity requires a plan. Do you have a plan to be generous? You know, there's a, there's a North... It, this hit me in a way that was just so foreign. Once I was talking to a Northsider about giving and they said, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it, I'll talk it through with my wife and see if it fits into our giving plan. I honestly went, what's, what's a giving... Who has a giving plan? Okay, I, it's, they've got a plan. You, so you, you've, you've, you've got to have a plan. Now, some of you say, look, I'm not the planning type. I just go with the flow. I'm a free spirit. Hey, can I say to you non-planners, look at me, look at me. <laughs> if you think you're a non-planner, you have a plan. You have a plan. If, someone, if, if I got someone to shadow you and write down all of your financial habits, there's one there, there's one there, there's one there, there's one there, uh, they would say, you've got a plan. And the thing is, for some of you, and I love you, I, I love you, but your plan is not a good plan because it's unplanned. You're giving unplanned. And, and I know this because um, some of you, uh, thank you, you know, for, for, for just saying how it is. Some of you even said, look, when Sam, when you talked about last week about that pattern of giving first, saving second, living, living third, I, I, don't, I don't live like that. I've never thought like that. Now, that, that was sort of news to me. I thought, hang on, we, we just know this stuff. But no, like you've got to have a plan. You've got to realise that. Because here's the thing. Have you ever drifted into a good situation? <laughs> you plan to what's, towards what's good and you drift towards what's bad. So you've got to have a plan. And so you know, people without a plan, particularly when it comes to followers of Jesus, then you just, what I've heard called three S givers. You, you're, you're sporadic. <laughs> You're spontaneous and it's sparing most of the time. It's just it's loose change givers. Oh, the bucket's coming around. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Three S givers. You have a plan. And when you've got a planned you know, budget, planning, that's not a no. That's a yes to your planned future. That's a yes to the future. That's a yes to the things that you value. We're going to talk about that in a sec. But it's planned. You got that bit? Planned. Okay. Generosity is not only planned, but then it's calculated. In other words, you're thinking ahead of time, I need a plan for this, but then you also decide ahead of time how generous you want to be. In other words, what percentage of your money you're going to give away. And it requires a percentage. A percentage is always best. Percentage is always better because a percentage guarantees that when you earn more, you give away more. And this is not Sam saying this out of a selfish church, because I'll pause for a second. You know, There are already people here going, oh my goodness, I walked into one of those churches this morning. (laughs) But Jesus preached to us last week in his, in his message when we had the parable of, of the rich fool. Why was the guy a fool? The guy was a fool because when he finally got into the situation that the bonus came in or the salary got doubled, 
He just went ahead with exactly the same patterns that he'd always had back there in the past and he just carried past patterns into the future and just built more barns, barns for himself. And I know what the wrestle is for you and I. We think, I know how we think. We think, okay, I'll give when I can afford it. And so, okay, I'm, I can't really afford it now, but I've got the right heart intention and, and I'm going to give to God when I can afford it. And when we get to when we, where we afford it, we feel like we can't afford it. We've talked about that. So percentage givers follow that pattern of giving right through the seasons of life when God blesses us. Percentage is always best. And so some of you are going, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's exactly what gets handed down by the church. I didn't come up with the percentage. Northside didn't come up with the percentage. Jesus came up with the percentage. He says in Luke chapter 11, Woe to you, you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth. That's not in the Bible, the percentage. I just put that on the slide. <laughs> in case you just thought it was fractions. You give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. So in other words, you give God a tenth, a proportion of the thing of value that is your income, but you neglect justice and the love of God. Hear this, you should have practiced the, uh, the latter without leaving the former, assume the 10% undone. And so here is the revelation for a moment. I'm about to drop a truth bomb on us. Get ready, here it comes. Jesus says 10%. Jesus says 10% is the starting point. And then from there, it's working into the spaces in which we look with eyes. Look, 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 look. There's one, there's one, there's one. For opportunities to be generous around us. To which I know, like, when you hear that, you go, oh, man. <laughs> I can tell because you've all gone wonderfully silent. Yeah. <laughs> right? 10%, that's craziness. That's just what those types of churches don't. It's what Jesus says. It's what it shows us is that the tithe, 10%, is not some aspirational goal for the Christian that we might get there 40 years down the track. Jesus says it should be now. And if it's not now, okay, well then practically, just start with being a percentage giver. Start somewhere and pick a percentage. You know, don't... And look, by the way, if you're going to start, don't pick like 0.35%. <sighs> You're not going to miss 0.35%. You know, pick, pick 2% or 3% or 5%. Start somewhere. That was my journey in this place. So I heard this and I went, that's crazy. I can't afford to do that. And I, I, I started with five and then progressively worked to the tithe. And this season is about for us that are getting this. Hey, can we move by faith into spaces where we move beyond the tithe? That is true generosity according to Jesus. So you, you pick a percentage. And when you... Pick a percentage, you become not a 3S giver, but a 3P giver. There's priority, you do it, do it first. There's a percentage, and then it's progressive. You say, I'm not signing off, God. You never signed off on me in our spiritual growth, so I'm not signing off in my growth with you and my money. It's open. It's open for business. I'm, I'm not, I'm, there's not going to be a level until I meet you face-to-face. -face. We'll work on that together. So, premeditated, you think about it. Then it's calculated and then the next bit's the fun bit. I know you were waiting for the fun bit, weren't you? Yeah. You, were, you, you thought, That's, this is such a fun topic. <laughs> this, this next bit is what puts the fun in funding the kingdom. Oh. <laughs> Taramara had exactly the same reaction. Yeah, that's dad joke number 35. So they banned me from saying it. Um, Here's, here's what puts the fun in funding. You're more gracious. Um, the, 
it, it's not premeditated, it's not just calculated, but it's designated. In other words, you start adventurously and creatively, wonderfully thinking about where your money can go. You choose ahead of time where it's going. And look, I understand. I know some of the reason why you guys don't like giving is because you may be the sort of people who have been blessed in life and people pick you and they can see you coming a mile away and they think that you're good for it and you're just tired of getting asked for money. And people are constantly asking you. But look, here, here's a gift that I can, I can, I can give you this morning. Here's, here's the gift. Generous people don't feel guilty saying no because they've already chosen a destination for it to go. That's what happens when it's designated. The generous people don't feel guilty saying no because they've already decided where their money is going to go. I'll, I'll put it another way. Generous people, it doesn't rhyme, so just bear with me. <laughs> but generous people don't feel guilty about having nice stuff because they've already decided where it's going to go. There's nothing within this that Jesus says, oh, we've all got to look like paupers walking around and we can't have things. You know, Dallas Willard, uh, the Christian philosopher, said, uh, we all treasure treasures. It's okay, according to the scriptures, to have nice things in life, particularly when this dynamic is at hand. And so, and so generous people, well-off people, don't feel guilty about that when they've already have a designated plan for where their money is to go. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And so this is brilliant. This is what Jesus is saying. If you want a map of your heart, <laughs> what he's saying is that wherever you're sending money, there's a part of your heart that is there. But most importantly, if you want to shift your heart, and this is what I've been talking about, if you want to shift where your heart is, then shift where you send your money. Think about where you, where you want it to go. And, and this is how you put the fun in funding, and it's the last time I'm going to use that phrase. You predecide, you predecide, you predecide where you want your money to go. And 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 if you think, well, how do I decide where 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 it goes? Well, it's as simple as this: you you do it out of a grateful heart, and you do it out of a broken heart. You do it out of a grateful heart, and you do it out of a broken heart. Which you know, which leads me into that space where, look, I've been upfront and saying this is not a series. Jesus is not saying all of you give your money to Northside. That's not the whole point of this. In fact, I hope that that would be the underlying structure and framework by which every single one of us give in this place. You give out of a grateful heart, which means if you're part of the family here, if you love the friendships here, if you love the community here, if you love the space here, if you love what we're doing with Taramara, if you love the, all the, the fact that we've got uh, like 30, 40, 50 kids downstairs that are learning about Jesus at the moment, if, if you love the relationship, well, of course, you're going to be grateful for that. And of course you would think, well, if you're part of the family, why wouldn't you give into the family on a regular basis? Like, haven't we talked about this now for it not to be awkward? But most importantly, I hope it's a rhythm where we also give not out of a grateful heart, but a, but a broken heart. And what that means is that there will be people and there will be cause, causes, whether it's the farmers, you know, whether it's people getting trafficked, uh, whether it's people working with certain medical diseases, there are causes and there are people for which your heart will break. And Jesus says, give to that. Start with the baseline, move beyond it in the justice and the love of God. Make sense? So that's, that's a gift. You can be generous and not feel guilty because you've already determined where it's going to go. So you think about it premeditated, it's calculated, it's designated, I know where it's going. And then here's the last bit. This is, this is the clincher. This is the last moment. None of this happens unless you get this step right. The unshackling 
of things of personal value. And I use that phrase unshackling for a very deliberate reason because I think about a train and if you unshackle a train, all of the big physical heavy lifting that you've got to do to unshackle a carriage. It's unshackling of your heart. Jesus says, do not store for yourselves, and here's how you unshackle, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. I tell you, unshackle. I call it the five sense principle. Some of you know the five sense principle. And my little brother, when he was a, a kid, three, four, five years of age, he found five cents on the ground, which uh, to a little kid, like five cents is like finding a gold nugget, isn't it? <laughs> and so my little brother would literally walk around the house saying this. He'd go, I love my five cents. I love my five cents. I love, like we would go off to sleep and everything's quiet in the house and you could just hear my little brother in his little bunk bed going, I love my five cents. I love my five cents. I mean, like the kid was, he would even be on the toilet. He'd be like, I love my five cents. And he just, it's just everywhere that he went. I love my five cents. Anyways. One, one day we're, we're down at grandma's place and my, my grandmother, you know, she, you know, she, was a, she was a war veteran with the WAF and, and she, so she's that typical generation where my grandmother, get this, my, get this Gen Y and X for that matter, my grandmother had written the average price of a litre of milk up on the inside of her cupboard, in her pantry cupboard, she'd, she'd written the average price of milk and its changes every year since 1953. And so we're down at Grandma's place, and, and we knew this list was up there, and we see that, and, uh, and we're down getting ready for dinner, and she's in the pantry, and she, and she looks up, and she's, she's crossing this off, and she's writing stuff in again. And we'd picked up on this, and we said, what's wrong, Grandma? And she said, oh, well, yeah, the price of milk's gone up. And it's at that point that my little brother went, well, you can have my five cents. the unshackling of the things of value happen for us when we understand the things in front of us that are true value. And it was at that moment that he first realised that his true treasure was not his five cents, it was grandma. Jesus is not here to twist you into giving. A Christian is someone who understands that when Jesus is in front of him, in light of the car and the house and all the great stuff that we have, those things before God are like five cents. It's nothing. It's nothing to the eternal riches that we will have with him. Nothing. Oh, we can only possibly unshackle our hearts when Jesus becomes so real to us in what he's done for us and what he is doing in our lives and the lives of the world that we can hand that to him and offer it up to him. As we get ready to finish today, look, I, I, I want to be absolutely, absolutely, absolutely clear if you have not seen this, but Jesus never, never once in what we've heard, never once when I can see in the scriptures there, Jesus is not asking for your money. Jesus doesn't want your money because Jesus doesn't need your money. The only reason Jesus wants your money is because he understands this dynamic that for all of us, and we should know this by now, your money has you. And if you hear him or you hear any of these messages from him saying, I want your money, well, then please, please, please understand the only reason he wants his mo your money is so he can get to you. He says, you, you cannot serve both God and money, children. You know this. You would understand that. 
And I know that your money is the place, it is the battleground for the loyalty of your heart. And while I'm here, that it possesses a spiritual power which blinds you to its presence, which has you hold on to it, which has you relying on it for your sense of security, has you relying on it for your sense of identity. And he says, I want to be that for you. I don't want your money, I want you. So look at me, look at me, look at me, says Jesus. Don't just look at me, look at the birds, look at the bees, keep reading that passage. Look at the way that God is caring about all of that stuff. Will you, for heaven's sake, stop worrying about the money piece, is the tone I think he would say it. Because he says, oh ye, you know, the King James, oh ye, ye of little faith. He never said it with that tone. He said oligopistoi, you know his cheeky little word, little faiths. He said, guys, for heaven's sake, stop worrying about that stuff. Look upon me. Oh, little faiths, little faiths, call yourself followers, seen what I've done, seen the miracles, seen all that sort of stuff, and you're still worried about your money. Here's one of the tests for you and I, I'll throw it at you as a hypothetical, it could be real for you this morning, if you lost 10% of your income tomorrow, what would you do? I think the average answer for most of us, if for the top 10%, I don't want to presume, but for the most of us, hey, yeah, look, it'd be really difficult, but you know what? We'd make do. We'd make do. We'd be grumpy, <laughs> but we'd make do. Here's the question Jesus asked you this morning. Hey, why don't you, why don't you lose a proportion of that and instead of being grumpy, come and join me in, in the adventure and get a bit of joy? How's that? How's that sound? We'd be grumpy for a bit, but we'd make do. We'd make do. And so that's, that's what he's said time and time again. This is the one area of your spiritual life where action must precede the intention. There's no good going home praying about it for the next six months. Of course, pray about it. But it's the one area where you do something, do something, do something, and demonstrate that this doesn't have power over you. We go, you know, look, if we still get to that point where you're saying, you know, I hear it, I hear Jesus, oh, I'm not sure it's a wrestle, I don't know if I can afford it. Here's the, here is the one thing that I am absolutely confident about after three weeks. It is not an information issue. From my perspective, after three weeks of preaching this sort of stuff, you've got more than enough information to last you a lifetime on preaching about money. It's not an, it's not an information issue. If you're still wrestling with it, it's a hard issue. And if it's a hard issue, that's above my pay grade. <laughs> if it's a hard issue, it's a Jesus issue. And it's for, it's, for, it's for you to wrestle through with him. And you, over the past three weeks, may have been offended. You might have been angry. You might have been frustrated. You might have been incensed. As all of this, remember the remedial massage, pushed in on this area that's so sensitive in our lives. Look, if you're angry, you're frustrated, you're upset, Good. At least you didn't leave church bored. <laughs> but most wonderfully, if you reacted to this, I've always said it, fighting is always a sign of spiritual life. You're alive. And it means he, the great preacher Jesus Christ, has taken you into the place where he wants to do business with you and he wants to do business with your money. And so I just leave you two to work it out together. <laughs> Let's pray. Father... I'm praying for every brother and sister, and I throw myself into this mix now. 
we love you. And so we open ourselves to you and we declare, even if we can't see it clearly, that this has a hold on our lives. And we declare that we are open for business with you, Jesus, and that you would wrestle with us and you would prod us on this and you would push us on this. And that, Lord Jesus, we would dare to believe that there is joy and there is wonder and there is freedom on the other side of this. And so we want to pray like the disciples prayed once and asked you, increase our faith, Lord. Increase our faith in this area of our lives. And Father, now as, as one of the stewards of this place, Lord, I pray for our church as a community. I pray that there would be a reawakening for each and every one of us. I pray that, that we would rebuke any of our consumer mentality, consumer mentality to the things about us. Worst of all, a consumer mentality to church. I pray this price would just be a, a beautiful hub for radical and beautiful and clear generosity. So that as you once told us, Lord Jesus, that when other people around us, particularly those that don't know you yet, see our deeds of service out of a heart that loves you, not out of a heart of pride, they would look at us and say, what the heck are they on about? What is that? And that we, Father, would point people to you. And so, Lord, I ask that you would do your work to make your church beautiful, generous, impacting in your mighty name. Amen.